This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. no guest that I have regularly on this program that produces more of a response in terms of email correspondence, in terms of social media correspondence, in terms of phone calls, in terms of the attention of the owner of this radio station than uh, Bill Burns. He is a New York Times bestselling author. He's written books on every subject. Uh, Frank Sinatra, the Rat Pack era, history, um, the FDR, the FBI assassination squad, but a lot of the books that he's written that are of interest to me, they're all of interest to me, but of particular interest to me, are the books that deal with UFOs, UAPs, and the possibility of extraterrestrials, including books like The Day After Roswell. He's been the publisher of UFO Magazine and the editor of the UFO Encyclopedia. He's a regular on the History Channel and a whole bunch of other channels. Any uh, television program or documentary program worth its salt that explores the issue of UFOs or UAPs has to deal with Bill Burns, because Bill Burns is not only a genuine expert, he's not only a terrific writer, but he's just a terrific storyteller. It gives me a great deal of pleasure to welcome back to the program, Bill Burns. Bill, thanks so much for staying up late with us, as always. Hi, Frank. Always my pleasure talking to you and talking to folks at WABC. I've been wanting to talk with you since Thursday when this latest UAP report from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence was released. And uh, kind of the top line takeaway that a lot of people have been focusing on is that there are a lot more documented UFO sightings, and the government says, we don't know what they are. Uh, You're always pretty good at reading through the subtext of uh, bureaucracy speak and uh, telling us what we might be missing. What was your uh, key takeaway with this UAP report that was released on Thursday? I was flabbergasted at how much, at how much this report reminded me of the original Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book dates all the way back to the 1940s and 50s. And the big conclusions from Project Blue Book were that they sought, I remember this report that we're looking at now is um, from the United States intelligence community. The original UFO reports that were Blue Book were purely military. It was purely Air Force. And so this report now takes a whole different take. It's not just, oh, wow, look at these things in the sky. What are they? We don't know. It's now the United States Intelligence Services are, are looking at these reports from the perspective of not just what could they possibly be, but could they possibly be threats? And so 
That's one of the uh, uh, that's one of the differences in this report from Project Blue Book. And the other thing is the amount of sightings. I think it's over 150 in this report. They can't explain. I mean, they can explain away drones. They can explain away uh, lenticular clouds. They can explain away sun dogs. All these natural atmospheric phenomena that look funky, right? Like you're looking at the sun through a cloud. Gee, that looks so strange. Maybe it's a UFO. They explain those away. But what they can explain away are things like the drones that we all saw the movies of, the videos of in the um, in the Pacific off the uh, San Diego uh, Naval Base. I mean, nobody has explained that yet. And yet the purpose of the report is to cite anomalies like that and make some um, judgment about them. And yet the report begs off. They just cannot. The other aspect of this report, too, which is fascinating, is consider that let's just take Project Blue Book circa 1955, for argument's sake. There, all you have are sightings by pilots, sightings by everyday folks like you and me, um, sightings by some military personnel and maybe some photographs. That's Blue Book. Flash forward 50 years, 60 years. What you're getting now are reports from satellites. In fact, the report makes it, this report makes it clear that what they're dealing with and probably can't explain are not just signals intelligence, but this geospatial intelligence, which is what does the satellite say? In, um, in 1955, we were barely ramping up with the North American air defense system. We had radar, obviously. But what we didn't have was this ring of satellites around the entire planet mm. that can pick up anything coming into Earth orbit. Now we do. And so now UFO reports are picking up on atmospheric anomalies that we can see not from the surface of the earth up but from the um earth orbit from space down and you know who was one of the facilitators of this one of the people who uh basically recognized the problem president ronald reagan that was the space defense initiative so a lot of these sightings that you're seeing come about because Ronald Reagan hmm. instituted the SDI, the, uh, the Star Wars Defense, which, by the way, did not look down as much as it was looking out into space. Well, Maybe that's interesting. I, I didn't know that, and I hadn't thought of that, but that makes uh, makes perfect sense. I want to follow up on, the co- on a couple of things that you uh, just said and get back to this report in a moment. But you alluded to the similarities with Project Blue Book. I think a lot of our listeners probably know what Project Blue Book was. Some may not, but essentially this was the code name for the study of UFOs by the Air Force in the 50s and 60s. They say that uh, Project Blue Book was terminated, I think, around 1969 or so. What was the legacy of Project Blue Book? And what, uh, how is Project Blue Book remembered by historians today? Great question, multiple answers. First, 
Project Blue Book, why was Project Blue Book canceled? On the one hand, if you read, and um, I published a lot of this in my book, uh, UFOs in the White House, if you read a lot of the mail traffic between the Air Force and um, folks who were doing the research, the Air Force was frustrated. We're talking now Blue Book. Their hands were tied. Let's look at the most astounding public UFO event that we know of in American history. It's not Roswell. It's the invasion of Washington, D.C.'s airspace by squadrons of UFOs in July 1952, the summer of the sauce. Which was well covered at the time, including by papers like the Washington Post. Look, anybody can look at the Washington Post for July 17th, July 23rd, all those dates in, in July of 1952. What are you going to see on the cover of the Washington Post? An echelon formation of UFOs over the Washington Monument and the Capitol building. I mean, so from the Air Force's point of view, what they were most worried about in Project Blue Book was the fact that we couldn't control our airspace. And in that 1952 uh, UFO incursion, we sent up our top-of-the-line Air Force jets. They couldn't even make radar contact with these devices. That's how advanced they were. We shot one of them down over West Virginia. Again, you don't see that in Blue Book. But um, finally, the Air Force was so upset at having to devote all these resources to problems they couldn't solve that a lawyer who had worked for Senator Joe McCarthy back in the uh, late 1940s, early 1950s, um, he became Donald Trump's lawyer in the 1970s. Oh, Roy, Roy Cohn, Cohn sure. Name. Yeah, Roy Cohn, in investigating communist fellow travelers, pointed his finger at Dean Edward Condon from the University of Colorado. Edward Condon was a particle physicist, quantum physicist, okay? It was brand new. This was like early 20th century stuff. Well, the um, House and American Activities Committee was very worried about this because they were Europeans. These were people, they, they didn't know who they were. They thought some of them might have been communists. So Roy Cohen tagged Dean Condon as a communist fellow traveler. Having so tagged him, the Air Force approached Dean Condon and said, you know, if you want to get out from under this communist taint, you could do us a favor, though. You could say that everything in Project Blue Book is meaningless, that it's not a threat to the United States, that we don't really care about this, and that the Air Force is wasting a lot of money and a lot of time in focusing on something that's not a threat to the United States. Why would the military get involved? And in so doing, Edward Condon wrote a report to head off the University of Colorado study of UFOs. And in the report, he said exactly what the Air Force wanted him to say, that UFOs really aren't that real that they're not a threat to the United States, that whatever they are, we can't figure out what they are. 
and we shouldn't waste money and resources by trying to figure this out. And as a result, the Air Force canceled Project Blue Book. So that's how they got out of the UFO issue all the way back in 1969. But UFO sightings never stopped. And now the the problem is that with um, satellites and with digital video and with video gun cameras, suddenly it was an inconvenient truth. We're seeing things we shouldn't be seeing. And that's what prompted this new report. Uh, we were uh, talking with uh, Bill Burns, New York Times bestselling author of many books, including The Day After Roswell, talking about this UAP report that was released by the Director of National Intelligence on Thursday, released a bit late, which we'll talk about. Uh, Bill, yesterday or the day before, Avi Loeb, who's a very well-respected Harvard professor, he's been a guest on this program, one of his colleagues was on this show uh, this week. He was on uh, Fox News Channel with Laura Ingram, just to show you how the mainstream media is uh, you know, paying a lot of attention to this sort of a thing. He was on uh, talking about this report. This is what Avi Loeb said, and then I want to get you to react to it. Well, the sky is not classified, so we can look at it. Uh, We just need uh, to put together a suite of instruments that um, are as good or even better than the government has. And we have been doing that based on uh, private sector funding. By now, we have uh, a set of cameras in the infrared, optical, uh, uh, radio, and audio that are basically taking a movie of the sky 24-7, and we analyze the data with artificial intelligence algorithms. So... The goal is to see if there is anything different than natural objects like uh, birds, flies, and so forth, bugs, or um, human-made objects like drones, um, satellites, airplanes. If there is anything else, it's not a matter of national security if it's not human-made. It's a subject of interest to scientists, and we want to figure it out. Now, obviously, the government is concerned on of uh, national security risks and the safety of military personnel. Uh, So it wants to figure out what most of the objects are. But even if one is of extraterrestrial origin, the public needs to know. And we will make our data open, available, and the analysis transparent. I thought that was so interesting, Bill, for a few reasons. We've spent a lot of time talking about the private sector's role in space exploration the last couple of years with uh, Elon Musk and Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos and how their roles are sort of supplementing or in some cases replacing what NASA and other governmental space agencies have been doing. We have not heard as much about private sector efforts to explore the UAP issue and explore whether or not there have been extraterrestrial visits to this planet. Obviously, uh, what uh, Avi Loeb and his colleagues at Harvard are doing is pretty interesting in terms of academia. And I'm wondering if you think that there's going to be increasing calls for private sector exploration of the UAP issue. What do you think? Well, here's what I think. What's going to happen when Elon Musk launches another Earth orbital device, right, another Earth orbital capsule, and as, he's, as it's in orbit, let's say William Shatner is, is one of the crew members or somebody famous is one of the crew members, what if they see a UFO? What will Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Richard Branson do if one of their devices – interacts with, sees, a 
is abducted by, crosses paths with a UFO. Will the government step in and put a clamp on this, or will that private sector space mission suddenly reveal the truth? This is not a drone. This is not a, a, a super Chinese or Russian weapon. This is not from this planet. What is the government going to say? And is this report that they're releasing from the um, Office of of, um, uh, of National Intelligence, is this report prepping us for the fact that, remember, back in the 1960s and 1970s, the only entity, the only entities that were able to go into space were national governments and militaries, correct? Right. Now that's different. Who's going to control Elon Musk? I mean, the guy owns Twitter. What if he sees a UFO in space and says, you won't believe this. Here's a UFO, and I'm putting the picture in Twitter. What is the government going to do? So they're prepping us for this with this report. It's uh, fascinating to think about. We're going to continue with Bill Burns in just a minute. If you have questions, we'll try and get to a few of them. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. The last time Bill was on, we talked about this new or this forthcoming film from the Obama's production company exploring one of the most fascinating and most well-documented alien abductions in history, the case of Barney and Betty Hill. Could there be a tie-in with what we're seeing now from the Biden administration on this front and what uh, one of his predecessors, President Obama, is doing on this front? We'll explore it with Bill Burns straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Talking with Bill Burns about this UAP report and other related issues uh, based on this uh, report that came out from the Office of the Director of National Intelligence on Thursday. Bill is a New York Times bestselling author. Bill, one of the things that I think it's certainly important to mention to the audience, and they've heard me mention it a couple times over the last few days, is that the version that was released on Thursday is an unclassified report meant for public consumption. You've done a lot of research exploring where the intelligence community is on this, exploring where a lot of presidents have been on this issue. How much of a difference do you believe that there is between the classified version of this report that we've been able to see and the unclassified version of this report? Night and day, and I'll tell you why. The classified report probably contains... It's very famous phrase, sources and methods. It explains how our intelligence community 
is able to assess aerial um, phenomena, whether it's a known phenomena or known phenomena. I wonder if the classified report to members of Congress um, cites the fact that the United States has drones that are so sophisticated, we cannot tell what propels them. I mean, I mean, we just heard snippets. I mean, little phrases of the advanced weaponry the United States has. Look at how we um, took out the um, this ISIS person or this Taliban person in Afghanistan with a drone. It wasn't a drone that exploded. It wasn't a drone that knocked down an entire house. It's a drone that we launched that homed in on a single person standing on a balcony. As the drone approached the person, knives came out of the nose cone, and it basically stabbed them to death. This is, the, this is how advanced our, our weaponry is. So if our weaponry, if our ability to run surveillance is that advanced, and there's a report that says this is what we've seen, and the report has to identify what kind of method we used to uh, surveil this thing, that would be classified. So, yeah, there's a big difference between the unclassified version and the classified version. The last time you were here, uh, we talked about the forthcoming film from the Obama's production company that's dealing with the abduction of Barney and Betty Hill. Uh, their their niece has been on this program, and we've explored uh, that uh, that story in detail. But you raised the issue, and I hadn't heard it raised anywhere else, of the significance of a former president choosing of any project that he could make. And look, the Obamas could get funding for any film they wanted to make about any subject, choosing to focus on this. It is interesting that uh, Obama's former vice president, the current president, Joe Biden, is uh, is in office now when a lot of issues related to UAPs seem to be coming to the forefront. What connection can people draw, if any, about the fact that uh, Obama's production company is coming out with the Barney and Betty Hill film and President Biden is in office now while his administration is presiding over the release of reports like this one? And the missing figure between those two gentlemen is Senator Harry Reid. Harry Reid was the senator in whose district is Area 51. Harry Reid is so deeply involved in this that – and who was one of Harry Reid's best friends in the United States Senate? Uh, Joe Biden. Joe Biden. Joe Biden. Right. When Harry Reid couldn't close the deal back in uh, 2011 on the uh, debt ceiling, who did Mitch McConnell say was the only person he would talk to? Joe Biden. Okay, so um, here's a case where throughout his presidency, Barack Obama said he told this to Jimmy Fallon. We saw this on television. He said to Jimmy Fallon when Jimmy Fallon asked him about Roswell and UFOs, Obama said, oh, they tell me not to talk about this. Who's they? And what is he not supposed to talk about? So the person who's not supposed to talk about this is now doing a Netflix movie on the first major. Let me tell you how important that story is. How how the first major UFO abduction in the 1960s, Betty and Barney Hill. The abduction of Betty and Barney Hill was so monumental for a whole bunch of reasons. First of all, 
interracial marriages were illegal in the United States in 1961. They didn't become legalized until the Supreme Court ruled in Loving versus Virginia in 1968. So here's a case where two people who wanted to live below the radar suddenly in an interracial marriage find themselves sitting on the cover of Look magazine. They saw a UFO. I mean, so what is the interest to Obama? Is the interest to Obama the fact that they were an interracial couple? But their story is like more monumental. I'll tell you why. Who was president when the Betty and Barney Hill story broke on the cover of Look magazine? John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy. Right. And what was the first thing John F. Kennedy said about this? We have to go to the moon by the end of this decade. I mean, put the two of them together. Two and two do make four. John F. Kennedy knew there was something going on, and the Betty and Barney Hill story about the abduction gave him the opportunity to say, let's put as much money as we possibly can into the space program. Let's go to the moon. Why would we want to go to the moon? Well, as Ronald Reagan said, whoever, um, whoever commands the moon as a fortress commands the Earth. That was one of the reasons for Ronald Reagan's space defense initiative. Um, Kennedy was so um, enthusiastic about the space program he was promoting that when he – remember uh, John F. Kennedy had an affair with Marilyn Monroe, and uh, she bragged about it? Right. Well, John F. Kennedy told Marilyn Monroe, and we have the transcript of that conversation. He told Marilyn Monroe about the things from outer space that we keep in a secret Air Force base in Nevada, Area 51. Then he goes further. He says to her, we have little men from outer space that we keep at Area 51. That's on tape. That conversation was monitored by J. Edgar Hoover and Alan Dulles. We have the transcript. You can read about it in um, UFOs in the White House. You can read about it um, on the Internet. So imagine a case where – this now gets political – where a president is so enthusiastic about an interracial couple who has an extraterrestrial abduction experience that he goes public and says we have to get to the moon by the end of this decade, tells Marilyn Monroe about the little men from outer space that the United States is keeping at a secret air base, and the next year gets assassinated. It's pretty wild. Uh, a bunch it's of people. It's uh, that is for sure. A bunch of people are eager to uh, chat with you. We're talking with Bill Burns about this UAP report. If you have questions, uh, you can uh, call in at eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We'll try and get to as many as we can. Carol is in the Bronx. Hello there, Carol. Hi. Okay. Uh, during the time when the UFOs were sighted, I'm I went to PS twenty three in the Bronx. Uh, between Union and Tenton Avenue on 65th Street. At that time, the Army came in, you know, military uh, trucks and stuff and men with guns, and they were, UF, the UFO people were in and out of that school, and the kids were running in and out, I guess, playing with them and whatever, and the Army came and told them to get out, you know, and ran them out. My brother was uh, seeing, like, red and a green person, 
and he was traumatized. He kept screaming for my mother, but every time my mother came in, they disappeared. And he said one of them smiled at him. And my brother has had a pretty good life since then. Now, PS23, later on in my life, I was in a position to check that school out to see if it was still around. Now, I went there from kindergarten to sixth grade, and I looked in the records. uh, I'm not going to say where, and I found out that PS23 was no longer in existence. They don't even, you know, it's not in the records anymore. So I just want to say <laughs> I do believe in UFOs. <laughs> okay, what that's year it. was this? Thank you. What, what year was this, Carol? Uh, no, you said was this. I'm Carol. No, no, I understand that. What year are we talking about, Carol? That you saw this? I know that it was in the fifties because I'm sure. I think I was. I was born in 1941, and uh, I was like around maybe. 13 or 14, something like that. But I know it was in the 50s. So it's around 1954, Probably. But, you know, that was unusual to us in the Bronx. Like, what is the Army? What are they doing here? Hmm. And I remember that. We lived on the ninth floor. Maybe that's why they kept coming in and out because it was up high with the last, uh, you know, floor in the building. And we were right across the street from PS23. So that's why we were involved in all of that, you know. So I, and after I looked up that school, I was in a position to look at those records. And uh, it's no longer in existence. And I know it existed because I went to school there. Now, uh, when you look back, they the school is totally gone, and hmm. it's now like a park. Well, uh, Carol, thank you, Bill. Any any reaction to that? I mean, obviously, uh, I don't know that you're an expert in PS twenty twenty three, but uh, any any reaction to her story there? I was an expert in PS one hundred one in Queens, <laughs> but um, the um, <clears throat> sure what the military's response since they didn't understand this. Remember, what, what Carol is talking about is, it, is um, an event that's taking place a year or two years after the invasion of Washington, D.C. by UFOs. So what she's talking about is this reaction by the military. Hmm. They didn't know what these things were. All they knew was that America's most sensitive airspace, right over the White House, was invaded by UFOs. So if the next year or the year after people are talking about being abducted or seeing um, extraterrestrials in their bedrooms, and it's all centered around the school building, I could see why the military would get involved. Uh, We're talking with uh, Bill Burns. Uh, Bill Burns has a lot of terrific books. Uh, One that you should definitely check out is uh, The Day After Roswell, which uh, Roswell does seem sort of like a seminal point in uh, American history and for the history of uh, exploring this sort of a thing. Bill, remind me, 
I, obviously, you're a, a very well-educated guy. Uh, you have a Ph.D., you have a law degree, you've been a professor, you've uh, studied medieval literature, you've written about Mickey Rooney, you've written about old Hollywood, you've written about a number of things, you've been a public official. Um, what sparked your interest initially in the UAP subject and, and your involvement in it? You're now kind of one of the leaders in this field, but how'd you get started? Well, uh, all the way back in 1952. I saw a UFO. I mean, and when you see one and when you know that it's not a, a, a lamppost or a plane or a helicopter or something else, a balloon, when you know what it is, um, you begin to get very interested in it. So this was in New York City. This was in Forest Hills, Queens. It's in New York City, right, uh, right near uh, the border with the Union Turnpike. Uh, it was in, in, at night look out the window, and I remember saying to myself, this was a kid, I remember saying to myself, why is there so much light in the middle of the night? Right, it's the middle of the night, it's pitch black outside, and yet I'm looking out the window and there's light pouring in. Look out the window and sure enough, from street corner to street corner, from street to street, over the buildings, there was a circular UFO. It just stood there, didn't move. And I used to have um, one of the great toys from the 1950s was this Mount Palomar telescope, this reflecting telescope for kids. Dragged it out, set it up, looked through it, and all I saw was light. No portholes, no doors, no, no strange creatures, just a big circle of light. And I said, what was this? So we began to... Um, do the research, read about UFOs, read about Roswell, read about um, McMinnville, saw some of the photographs, looked at the Washington Post, and you knew something was there. Flash forward 40 years, and um, I'm in the motion picture business, and one of the movie companies that I work with says to me, you know, there's this guy who was the... Um, Deputy Director of uh, the United States Army's Foreign Intelligence Office. I said, oh, really? Yeah. This guy says that he was in charge of all the Roswell debris that they recovered from the crash in New Mexico. Wow. Okay. You know, and you take that with a grain of salt, right, Frank? I mean, anybody can walk up to right, this. Right, sure. So I met him, and he begins to tell this story about what happened to uh, that material. Then I was working with somebody from AT&T, and I said, well, I heard the strangest story, the strangest story about um, the involvement of Bell Labs in the crash at Roswell. And this person said, oh, yeah, I heard the same story back in the 1948. And I said, you heard the same story? Yeah. He said, um, somehow the the office of the president, the uh, the army, gave um, Bell Labs some strange um, electronic material, and a year later they had the transistor. That really piqued my interest. So Corso told me. So this guy's name was Phil Corso. This was the book the day after Roswell, and he told me how sitting in the file in the Pentagon was a whole bunch of debris from the crash at Roswell. And I said, well, why did, you know, this is like 1961 now. So I said, why did it wait for all these 40 plus, almost 40 years to go public? 
And he said, because back in 1948, when the government gave that electronic board to Bell Labs, Bell Labs patented the material. I said, okay, Brittain and Shockley patented the transistor. So um, the Army was so mad that Bell Labs patented the transistor, they stopped giving away the material. So he said what his boss, General Arthur Trudeau, General Arthur Trudeau is the head of the United States Army Research and Development. He was famous during the Korean War. He was ordered to leave a contingent of his men at the top of the hill. He was ordered to leave them there, that they couldn't rescue them. There was too much fire. General Trudeau said, the hell with that. He grabbed the machine gun, slapped a helmet on his head, and said, I'm going up that hill. Who's with me? And he led a platoon <laughs> up the hill, and he led the men down, and they wanted to throw his butt out of the Army. But Eisenhower said, you know what? That's the kind of hero we need in the Army. So um, that was Trudeau. So they were so mad at him. They were so mad at him, they said, let's give him this backwater, know-nothing command called research and development. He could spend his last years in the Army there and go out with his pension. Well, in that, what Arthur Trudeau found was a file in the basement of the Pentagon with all this Roswell debris. He, he says to Corso, I like you. Well, Corso was the head of the 7th Army at that point. He was the colonel. And um, he was told by the commander of the Seventh Army just to fire all of his, um, uh, just to fire all of his black sergeants. And he said, "You know what? I'll do that, but then I'm going to resign, because that means you don't trust my command." So the guy said, "Okay, keep your own command." And he brought Corso in, and Corso's job was to take the technology from that Roswell file, and we can go through what the technology was from that Roswell file and slowly feed it into American defense industry so nobody knew where it came from. It was a cover-up. His, the senator who worked with him was, um, uh, besides Senator Eastland, it was the head of the Armed Services Committee. And he gave Corso a budget and says, you take this budget, you go out to the places that are researching the same technology, you give them this budget, and you say, here, this stuff came from foreign technology. We didn't say UFOs. We said foreign technology. Use this as a model for what you're developing. And that was how the computer industry changed from the analog computer of IBM to the digital computers of the 1960s. We're going to continue with Bill Burns in just a moment. A bunch of people queuing up to ask questions. 800-848-9222. We're going to try and get to as many calls as we can. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
singing Man on the Moon, all about Andy Kaufman, uh, whose birthday was just two days ago, January 17th. You know who else's birthday was uh, two days ago on January 17th? Jim Carrey, who is uh, who plays Andy Kaufman in the film uh, Man on the Moon. And I didn't realize until this week that they have the same birthday. Isn't that wild? All right. Uh, talking with Bill Burns. Uh, Bill Burns is a New York Times best-selling author. He's been a professor. He is uh, someone with a law degree. He's got a PhD. Probably the best credentialed guest we've ever had when it comes to academia and when it comes to selling books and when it comes to appearing on television and radio. He's done it all. Uh, kind enough to stick around in the middle of the night or the wee hours in the morning, depending on your perspective, and take some of your questions. 800 848 Two, two, two. Joe in Queens has been waiting a while. Hello, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, Bill. You know, I was in like uh, an eatery. It was like like kind of like the equivalent of a space age fancy restaurant in Chicago. And I went to get some ketchup. There was a girl standing right there, a blonde haired girl. I, and then she disappeared right before my eyes, unless it was it was a matter of a blank. But not that she was interested in me, but I've heard uh, there's been people that report that this biological alien woman that had been displaying uh, a specific interest in a guy, like that they're attracted to them. Have you heard that? Yes, I have. Uh, I'll tell you one story. Right pertinent to what you just said. Oh, first of all, where in Queens are you? Oh, I'm near uh, the Belmont area, Belmont Racetrack, that okay. area. I'm from Forest Hills. The um, the um, here's a great story. Ingo Swan, Ingo Swan was a psychic, and she was responsible for the CIA's remote viewing program. That's a whole other story that will blow your mind. But the CIA actually paid hundreds of millions of dollars for the psychic program to fight the Russians who were also doing psychic warfare. The person behind it was this person, Ingo Swan. Ingo Swan tells the story of walking in Los Angeles, and he sees this alien woman. She looks human, perfectly normal-looking person. But he looks into her eyes, and her eyes start glistening, and they're very wide. And he knows, but looking at that woman, she's an extraterrestrial. She walks by him, and he goes to see where she went. She's disappeared, just like the story you told. She disappeared. I had the same experience. I'm in um, Los Angeles. And I'm right by um, LAX. There's this little town called, uh, I think it's Winchester, I'm not sure, near LAX. And um, we're in the giant supermarket. Uh, we're in the Ralph supermarket. And I see this person, really strange looking young woman, giant, I mean, eyes that are like as big as plates. I mean, I'm sure you have a dinner plate that's as, that was as big as 
Did I lose you, Bill? Uh, we lost Bill Burns there. Uh, thank you for sharing that, Joe. I appreciate that. We'll let's try and reconnect with uh, Bill Burns when we can. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with Bill Burns. He is uh, the author of a whole bunch of best-selling books on uh, The Day After Roswell, on UFOs in the White House, and uh, he has uh, covered a lot of subjects that uh, don't relate to UFOs as well. Uh, There's a terrific book about Mickey Rooney. He's the co-author of a great book about Frank Sinatra. He is uh, a guy that's uh, pretty accomplished. He has been a uh, professor of... uh, linguistics. He has a PhD in medieval literature. He has a uh, law degree. He is a a pretty impressive guy, uh, and he uh, is kind enough to join us. Uh, Bill, the conspiratorial among us are going to try to read something into you being disconnected, but uh, I I won't do that. Please uh, finish your thought on that uh, that mysterious entity you saw. So here's the thing. So I'm looking at her in the supermarket, and and she's looking at me like she knows me. You know that look when somebody looks at you and it's like, this person knows you. So um, she's looking at me, and who is this person? I turn around from my shopping cart. I turn back, and she's she totally disappeared. And I know this market. If she were walking away, I would have seen it. If she were out in the parking lot, I would have seen it. This is a case where the person totally disappears. There one minute, gone the next. Ingo Swan was right. His premise was that aliens, that ETs are on this planet. It's not just flying saucers going back and forth from outer space to Earth. It's they live here. They're here. When I was doing this series, UFO Hunters, um, people would come up to me, usually at night, and actually say, you know, there are extraterrestrials who live right here on this planet and they look just like us and you can't tell them apart from us and they're controlling things. So if you want the ultimate conspiracy theory, imagine that we're a colony of ETs who are running things on this planet. And just like the Isaac Asimov story, foundation and empire. And um, part of the cover up is, don't tell anybody about it. Hmm. Uh, by the way, one of the things that I mentioned earlier, Bill, is this UAP report that uh, came out just last Thursday. It was supposed to be out in October. Is there anything that we should be reading into the delay in the report's release? Or is that just typical government bureaucracy and things not getting released when they're supposed to be released? A, that's typical government bureaucracy. They didn't know. First of all, they probably didn't know. They knew what their mandate was, but they probably didn't know what to include or not to include in an unclassified report. So they had to be very scrupulous in looking at the kinds of sources that they don't disclose to the Russians, to the Chinese. So that was one. Um, And the other was what actually, how are they going to characterize the fact? Think about this, Frank, that how do you characterize the fact in a government report, an official United States Office of Defense Intelligence Department report, how do you characterize the fact we can't explain this? Mm, right. Is it a threat? We don't know if it's a threat 
All we know is this is sitting in um, the United States uh, classified military airspace, restricted airspace. Look at what happened in Phoenix in um, 1997. Um, here's Bill Clinton supposedly staying at the house of Greg Norman, the golfer. Um, constellations of lights are flying over Phoenix. People in Paradise Valley actually can, the UFOs are so close, they can actually touch them, Frank. One person said to me, I'm looking out my balcony window, and there's a flying triangle, and I can see through the triangle to the houses across the valley, and I can actually touch it. It's so close. That's, uh, that was Phoenix. U.S. Air Force jets out of, um, out of Lake Air Force Base are flying behind those lights to see why they're hovering over Sky Harbor Airport. They took gun camera video. Bill Clinton saw the gun camera video. Fife Symington, who was the governor of Arizona, was up on corruption charges. We all know that back, mm-hmm. from, back mm-hmm. from the 90s, okay? He's up on corruption charges. He has to sit in the morning in judges' chambers discussing potential sentences and pleas, if he please. That afternoon on television... Fife Symington holds a news conference in which a six-foot-tall alien, he says to the assembled folks, I want to get to the bottom of what's happening in Phoenix. I don't know what these UFOs are. Let's get to the bottom of it. And somebody dressed as an alien walks up to him. Right. It was a joke. And it was he a takes costume. the mask off. And it's yeah. his chief of staff. And he laughs about it. Years later, Frank, we're sitting with Fife Symington doing an interview. And we said, you know, why did you do this, Governor? Why did you? This, this, he said, I try to add some levity to it. And so we said, but Governor, didn't you see these things yourself? Everybody else did. And here's what Fife Symington says. The night of the Phoenix Lights, I dismissed my um, security detail because I was at my house. I'm standing in my backyard and I'm looking at these flying triangles go back and forth. One flying triangle hovers over my backyard. I could see through the flying triangle right to the starlight, which is wavy, through it. And um, I saw that. And so we said to him, so, so Governor, what was the result of all of this, of, of your court appearance, of your, um, of your press conference, and now you're admitting you saw the UFO? And he smiled and said, Bill Clinton gave me a Mark Rich pardon. <laughs> Very interesting. Bill, um, there's a whole bunch of people queued up to talk with you, and I have not even scratched the surface of subjects that I want to bring up with you. But unfortunately, we're out of time. Let's do this again soon. It's always a real treat to talk with you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Frank. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Uh, Bill Burns, you can check out uh, all of his books. Just uh, If you want to go on Amazon or wherever books are sold, uh, it's terrific, terrific writer, B-I-R-N-E-S. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. A ton of interesting stuff to get to next hour. Some stuff related to artificial intelligence and Atlantic City. And uh, Brian Kilmeade joining us a little later. A bunch of interesting stuff to get to. In the meantime, your influence counts. Make sure you use it.